Welcome to the podcast today. It's it's Thursday, October 20th. I was just thinking how I don't tell you what time it is anymore, and you really don't care, and it doesn't matter unless you care when we record. But I do uh, miss saying it's uh, it's 1.45 in Podcastville. I don't think anybody else who does podcasts says Podcastville, because that's corny. Today will not be uh, corny. So in January of this year, I, uh, I, I got to have coffee with my friend, Chris Peterson. And uh, I, I, I found out that she liked me a lot more than I thought she did. And she offered me some very helpful insight and guidance. And I told her that I was helping out some things at the Ability Center. And she said, you've got to meet Amy Reamer. Okay. Um, and I, I am pretty good. Like I, I have learned my lesson. I write things down, and when I say I write things down, I put them in the notes app in my phone, and I typically don't forget a lot of things. Now, maybe I don't have a lot of things to remember anymore, or maybe I just write them down so I remember. Anyway, uh, at one of our disability awareness experiences about a month or so ago at the Ability Center, where your business or organization can come to the Ability Center, and you are uh, you get to see and maybe get some tips and tricks skills, whatever you want to call them, so that you can better engage um, with people who might have disabilities that engage in with your business or your employees. And there's different stations. Amy was at a station uh, where she was talking about um, she lost her arm. In fact, we're not going to talk about that on her visit here today. Uh, I want you to go watch her visit with Chris Peterson with The Authentic Authors, another piece of media um, with my friends and Think Differently at the Ability Center. So uh, Think Differently, uh, Authentic Authors, Ability Center. Okay, you know what? I will put the link here in the podcast description. But at that point, um, I was like, I went up to Amy after her, her session was like, Chris Peterson said I need to meet you. And I think Amy said, Chris Peterson said, I need to meet you. So um, after we kept getting pulled away from one another that day, we got hooked up with coffee. And I had, I did not expect to talk about what she brought up. Um, I wanted to get some insight uh, how, how she lost her arm. And I got much, much more than that. And we're not going to talk about that much at all because I wanted her to share her experience to motherhood and with her husband to parenthood because it is a harrowing one and that'll begin right now do you edit this or is it like straight absolutely up absolutely not it's there's no like editing straight up what would i have to edit i don't know i'm just asking like d- like don't say like ooh wait let me start over like oh, yeah. cancel that out oh we don't do that yeah you don't do yeah, that yeah, yeah. you just go straight so up. i'm going to actually like leave this in we consider us having begun that was a great way to start <laughs> um Thanks for visiting. Yes, thank you for having me. Is this is this is this palatial facility what you expected a, a media conglomerate to look like? No, not at all. What were you expecting? I think I was expecting like just like one big open area. I didn't expect all the little individual rooms. That's that would be a very modern way of going about it. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for being here. I'm excited. I to be here. Uh, I hope people. Um, Go take a look at your sit down with uh, the person that kind of connected us, Chris Peterson, uh, authentic authors for the Ability Center. Yes. How many times have you watched that? Uh, A lot of times. I just, it was amazing to me how much footage they took and then like just how they pulled it all together and like took the best parts of it and made this very compact, you know, piece that 
just like describes me and my life so well. And it was just amazing to me to see what they took and then what they turned it into. Yeah, we don't do any of that here. We just ramble. Yeah. That's, that's the beauty of podcasts, though. I'm good at rambling. Um, me too. Me too. Um, I want people, I want to direct people to that because uh, I, I, I want people to go watch that because you are not here to talk about disability advocacy. We can a little bit, but why I wanted to have you in and I had no idea about was the harrowing journey you have been on to become a mother. Uh, to become a mom and then now be a mom. Um, again, like I told you when we chatted a couple weeks ago, not to dismiss anybody uh, that has been through similar challenges or or numerous miscarriages. I am fortunate or mis- unfortunate enough to have friends who have been through multiple yeah. ones, and I know how awful it is. Your story is, I, I just wonder like how you continue to press on. And if we could start with that, I'd love to hear you start from the beginning of you and your husband wanting to become parents. Yeah. So my husband and I, we dated for like eight and a half years before we got married. We were high school sweethearts and we always sort of kind of talked about, I had three sisters, have three sisters. He has three sisters. And so we always talked about how we wanted four kids and we knew we wanted a, you know, a bigger family. And so after we got married, you know, we had been dating forever. So we wanted to start trying to have kids right away. And, uh, you know, a few months later, we found out that we were pregnant with our first baby. And just like any mother and father who are pregnant for the first time or any time, we were ecstatic and we were excited and we were, you know, trying to, we were excited to find out what we were having and start planning. And I think what I always say to people is the second you see a positive pregnancy test, you plan every stage of that baby's life. Like you think about the pregnancy, you think about the labor and the delivery and the birth, you think about them as a newborn and a child and a, you know, a teenager and you think about their wedding and you think about someday being grandparents yourself, you know, it's like everything kind of flashes before your eyes. I've never heard anyone express that before, but I can totally understand it. It's almost uh, like analogous to when when your life flashes before your eyes, yeah. your soon-to-be child, their life flashes before your eyes. Yeah, I think you you get you you aren't just excited about that moment; you're excited about the rest of the of your life and their life, and I think that's what makes it so difficult. Um, since we're talking, you know, we'll get there eventually, but that's what makes it so difficult for people that have a loss is that you've already planned out, you've already yeah. anticipated the ent- their entire life. So um, when we went in for, you know, one of our big ultrasounds around 20 weeks, we found out that our baby had some markers on the ultrasound that um, kind of indicated that something was going on. They weren't sure what. So we went through some more testing. We ended up having um, an amnio and we found out around like 22, 23 weeks pregnant that our daughter had Down syndrome. And I told you this when we met that, um, you know, for me, I, I... have a background in speech pathology and down syndrome wasn't new to me. It, you know, I had worked with my very first client who I'm still friends with today. Um, was a girl at the time, a little girl with down syndrome. And that wasn't new to me, but I didn't know how to be a mom to a baby with down syndrome. So even though I had a very solid background and I had a lot of knowledge, I had to really come to terms with having a child with special needs. I had to come to terms I had to start researching how to be a mom, you know, and, and learn that whole side of things. So that was a challenge. And that was something that, you know, that was sort of the first big hurdle in my life that we had to jump through. Was there any, was there any 
reticence that you weren't going to continue the pregnancy or, and I'm talking just like your imagination runs off. Cause I believe you are, are probably against that, but I'm wondering how imaginative you got, or you immediately pivoted to, we're going to make this work. I, we absolutely never, ever had thoughts that went to ending our pregnancy, but it, it did take, I always say it, we had to grieve this child that we thought we were having, like that we had sort of fabricated in our minds, right? When I saw that pregnancy positive test and we had to grieve that child. And then we had to kind of start planning and anticipating this child with Down syndrome that because our life was going to look a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and so never did we um, talk about or discuss, although we were asked many, many times sure. over and over and over, not only by people, but by, you know, our the medical professionals, right? Um, if we wanted to terminate the pregnancy and it was definitely offered to us multiple times. And finally I said, just put it in my chart. Like we're not, you know, we don't need to discuss this anymore. We're, right. And and my husband and I were on the same page with that. There was never a question in our mind whether or not we wanted to continue with the pregnancy. It was more so we just had to sort of grieve this child that we had in our minds and start, you know, getting excited about the child that we were going to have. And I told you we have the most supportive family, my, my husband's family, my family, our groups of friends, and everybody was behind us. So yeah, you had all the resources to yeah. make this challenge work. Yeah. And we really got to, you know, it took a little bit of time and then we kind of got to the point where we were just ecstatic. Like we were, we got to go over the top about things. So we were not just excited about having this baby, this baby with Down syndrome. We were like, you know, we're like diving into this, like a hundred percent, you know, head first, like whatever we can do, we're going to give her the best life. We found out it was a girl. We're going to give her the best life that she possibly can. We're going to be advocates for, you know, the Down syndrome community and all this stuff. And so we kind of went in full force at that point. So, and then? Yeah. So we went through the second half of my pregnancy and we just, you know, gathered all the resources. We made a plan. We had all this stuff kind of set and, you know, what we, what we wanted to do after she was born. And so when she was born, you know, everything about her birth and her labor and delivery and all of that was perfect. And, you know, they basically said, you know, I think the second, if anyone, anyone has a child with Down syndrome or a child with special needs, even the the second you see them, right, they're your baby, right? Like she was our daughter. She was perfect. She was beautiful. Everything that you could ever expect and more. And they said, you know, take her home. She's perfect. And so uh, we took her home and we were home for about three days and we realized that she wasn't eating very well. But again, I had done my homework. I had done my research. I knew that uh, that was a possibility that she would, you know, have some trouble with because of her tone, low tone and stuff. She would have some trouble eating. So we kind of tried to push through that. Well, then we realized that it was probably a little bit more serious than we thought. So we went back to the pediatrician and they, he said she looked jaundiced, so we want to do some blood work. So we did some blood work. I took her home, and literally like five minutes after walking in the door, we got the call that said um, her level is really, really high, and you need to take her to the hospital right now. Level of what? Uh, her bilirubin. So that well, is course. like what measures her jaundice, right? <laughs> got it, got the it. level of jaundice. So we took, went to the hospital, and at that point still, we were like, okay, Babies have jaundice, they go under the light, they get, you know, different, there's different ways to treat jaundice, everything, you know, we're going to make her better, they're going to make her better and we're going to take her home. Well, it was sort of like this snowball, like spiral, one thing after another, after another, after another. 
And next thing you know, they were running tests for something called Hirschsprung's disease, which is a very rare thing. Um, it's a little bit more common in babies and kids with Down syndrome, but it's still really rare. And in a nutshell, basically... Um, the nerve endings are not working that are attached to the end of the colon. And so the re- so we went through all this testing to find out if she did, in fact, have Hirschsprung's disease, which we found out that she did. And again, still, it was sort of like, you know, we're going to do this surgery that's called a pull-through surgery. And uh, we basically take up out the part of the colon that it doesn't have the nerve endings connected to it or that aren't working, um, cut that off you have extra, you don't need, you know, it's fine. And she'll go home in a couple days. And that did not happen. (laughs) So she, uh, she went into surgery when she was 11 days old. And she, uh, everything with the surgery went fine, they thought. But when we saw her in recovery right after surgery, um, we knew, you know, I think you have that mother and father, like parent instinct, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know everything there is to know about the medical world, but I've definitely learned over the years. But I knew something wasn't right. And um, I, I was reassured over and over and over, like she's just coming out of anesthesia. Um, she'll, everything will get better. But I just knew that something wasn't right. Like she wasn't something wasn't right and and she wasn't the baby that I sent into surgery. And so um, after a couple of hours, we went into, they decided to take her to the ICU, which was not where she was supposed to go after surgery. So I knew something was bad at that point. And then over the, like uh, the next 12 hours, she just sort of went downhill farther and farther and farther. We ended up, um, she ended up having to be intubated and put back on the vent. And so we knew like something was bad. And the problem was no one could tell us why. And, and they didn't know. What was your level of panic and anxiety at this point? On a scale you know, of one to a million? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it was a million, but I, I'm telling you, I, I it was such a fog. Like I knew what was going on. I was there. I never left her room. But it was like looking back, like I remember like thinking... I saw us, I saw it going downhill. Like I felt it going downhill, but the doctors, the nurses, like me as her mom, my husband as her dad, like we couldn't stop it. Like nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew why she was going downhill. And I saw it, it was like, I saw this happening right in front of my eyes, but I couldn't stop it, right? So I'm sure my panic level in the moment was a million, right? Um, But I was, it was like a quiet panic. I wasn't like this, you know, vocal freaking out mom. It was almost like I was just sitting there watching something happen that I couldn't control. And and as a parent, all you want to do is be able to fix your kids. Like if something's wrong, you want to be able to fix it for them. And I couldn't fix it for her. Because nobody knew what was wrong. It, right. it Was it almost like watching a TV show and you were in complete disbelief? Yeah. Like my husband and I remember talking about like, you know, hindsight, we, we, there were moments where we felt like, you know, in a TV show where, where everything goes quiet around the person and like it's moving in like fast forward around them, but the person's moving in slow motion yeah. and all the noise drowns out. That's how I felt a lot, a, a, a huge part of the time that I was in her ICU room. I felt just like that in like that movie scene. So what happened after she was taken to the ICU and then continued to, to tumble? Yeah. So a about like 12 to 18 hours later um basically the everyone said we don't know what's going on and so the surgeon said i'm, I'm gonna take her back into surgery because we we can't figure out what's going on so i'm taking her back in something is wrong we can all clearly see that 
Um, so I have to figure out what's happening. So she went back into surgery the next day when she was 12 days old. And basically where they sewed, like where they cut off the part of the colon and then sewed it back together it's called an anastomosis and the anastomosis had leaked. So whether the stitches didn't hold or the, you know, whatever it was, the anastomosis had leaked, which basically means there was stool going into her abdomen and that's really bad. And that causes you to, you know, that's what the snowball effect, right? That mm -hmm. causes you to go downhill really, really quickly. Um, and so basically, you know, they, they found that when they went back in, which was obviously what was causing her all of the trouble. And at that point, she had started swelling so bad because of all this stuff that was going on in her body to the point where they basically had to, uh, like, it, cut her open, her entire chest and belly. And she was so swollen that they couldn't close it back up. Mm. So when they brought her back, they didn't even put her in recovery after that surgery. They brought her, brought her straight back to the ICU. And when they brought her back... Um, basically her entire abdomen was wide open with like a clear mesh over top of it. So talk about seeing your, you know, your child in the hospital is difficult, seeing your child sick, seeing your child go downhill, you know, but then this was like a whole new level, right? seeing your child and like basically being cut open and they're not able to close her back up. And so we have to just t watch her try to heal basically from the inside out. What was, what was the grieving process like for all of this um at that point we were still fighting right at that point we weren't grieving we were fighting like we were fighting for her life we were fighting to get every medical professional on the same page we were fighting to we talked about transferring her um they didn't think she was stable enough you know my husband and i at that point we went into like advocate mode right like parent mode and um i think sometimes people think like well this person this is a professional and they're telling me this. So we just have to go with that. And I learned very quickly that, um, you know, sometimes in the end, that is what you go with. But don't be afraid to like fight for your child. Don't be sure. afraid to fight for your own health. Right. And so I remember there were moments where we like had to put our foot down and say, like, I want every single person on her case in one room. I'm not talking about writing in a chart. I'm not talking about on the phone. I want everyone here in one room like we're having a team conference and we're going to figure out what's going on and we're going to figure out the plan and we're all going to be on the same page and and they made it happen like they did Great. that and so i think in that moment right from day 12 for the next week and a half we were still in like this fight mode and we were in this advocate mode for our child right but at the same time my husband and i had difficult conversations in those in that week and a half and we saw her continuing to go downhill we saw her continuing to really slip away from us and at that time we you know again her entire abdomen was wide open right so we knew that we didn't want someone pounding on her chest that was wide open you know there right. were lots of things that lots of decisions that we had to make in that moment and very difficult decisions right and we continued to fight and we continued to have hope and all of that but we were also realistic and we also so at that time she had Literally, I've been in the uh, around the medical world a lot. She had more IV bags going into mm. her than anything I've ever seen, and zero urine output. 
So everything that was going into her was just like, it's called third spacing, was just like third spacing into her body. And so you can imagine what that looked like for a tiny, tiny, I mean, she was six pounds when she was born. So a tiny, tiny little baby and everything that was going in was staying in and just causing her to swell and swell and swell. And so, um, you know, we kept talking to the nurses and the doctors about like, what's this going to look like? And how do we know like what the right thing is to do? And, you know, my husband and I have a really strong faith. And so we had a lot of, we did a lot of praying ourselves. We had a lot of people praying for us. And basically what we said and what the, even what the doctors and the nurses said is like, it's not time. Like she will, her body will declare itself if, if that is a decision you have to make. And so when she was 24 days old, Uh, She woke up that morning and it was a different day. And we knew like everything felt different. Uh, The weather was different than her nurse that day was someone that we had never had before. So, you know, all these nurses had come to grown to love not only her, but our family. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I never left her room. I, I slept in her room. I stayed there. 24 seven my husband had a hospital room like you know just so that he could actually sleep in a bed but he was there 24 seven so they had you know we had grown to know these people and and they were amazing like amazing nurses and and people that were caring for her but that day there was a new nurse and I'm sure she was amazing too but we knew like this is a sign right Mm -hmm. like it's not someone who is emotionally attached to her um and she woke up and she had a new infection and it was Mm -hmm. kind of starting to like cover her entire body and we were like okay this is this is what we you know we've been praying for basically like we need a sign to, this yeah, is a be sign, made for you. like yeah for the decision to be made for us and so even though that day we had to make the decision to actually remove her from life support um it was clear to us that that was the right time and it was the right day and again she still had had they had tried everything she had no urine output and she was still going downhill and nothing was getting better and um, you know, I think that is a really, really tough decision for anyone anyone at any stage. I think when you're making it for a baby, right, you've, you've planned and anticipated this baby's life. Um, but it was something that we at that, that day and in that moment we were at peace with and we wanted her to leave our arms and go straight to Jesus's arms. And we didn't want her to be, you know, to that for that to happen in a chaotic way from a hospital bed. And so we were able to hold her in her last moments. Uh, Where are her remains, if I may ask? Yeah. So at that point we had and this is something we discussed before that moment um, is I think I just looked at my husband one day and I said, if she doesn't make it like I want her body cremated. And we had we had talked about that about ourselves before but never about your child um but it was her body if you could have seen what her physical body looked like it didn't look like a baby it was you know it there were so many things about her physical body that we were just like we don't this is just her this is just her container on this earth right and so we had her cremated and we have like um just like a wooden um urn i guess you call it an urn but it's more like a box and so she's her remains are at our house but again that doesn't that's not like some people get really attached to stuff like that to me like i have a really strong feeling that like this is just our physical container on this earth and it's not who we are and it's not anything i I am not a faithful person like you but i'm spiritual um i don't feel the need to and my mom is 
buried 500 and some miles away. But yeah. and I'm very fortunate to have not lost. I've had a small family. So when you have a small family, you don't lose a lot of people close to you. But I know that when I've lost people, I never felt the need to visit their physical resting place. Yeah. Like if I want to think of my mom, I, I don't even have to close my eyes and do it. Yeah. Um, and there are a million other things. Like, and thankfully now we all have way too many pictures on our phone. So it's easy to kind of like resurrect someone in your mind in right. a variety of ways. And I think everybody, you know, I what, what I've learned just by through everything I've been through and talking to people, everyone has their own way of grieving and dealing yeah. and healing. And, you know, for some people, it's really important to have that place to be able to go to that's not, you know, ashes in your home and for some people they you know want to they need to you know go through the cremation process but then they need to do something with those ashes right like i think it's 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 individualized and what's right for each person is different you know from person to person and the timing of it is going to be different from person to person but you just have to do what is right for you yeah and in a very in in a more emotional way um I until I until I lost my mom, I never realized that my connection and love for for dogs and needing to always have them is because of my mom. Because my mom yeah. is the one that kept coming home with dogs, with, my, new dogs. without asking my dad, obviously. Um, but the other the the lighter version is um, my mom was the woman you never wanted to be stuck behind at the supermarket checkout. Oh no! Because she did the register override <laughs> uh, from all the coupons. So now whenever I see something on sale or cut a coupon, I'm like, that's my mom working inside of me. Yeah. Like yeah. that's that that's your way of that's like holding grief. on to her memory yeah. and yep. healing and grieving and yeah I think everybody has those special little things right that that are meaningful to th- that person or to their life. So this is only half of the agony you have been through. Um, tell me what that grieving process was like, that timeline, and then when you moved on and we get to part two of this. Yes. So well, I'm not sure which part you're talking okay. about part two, but we, we may end up with a part three. Um, so the grieving that was you know i think the the hardest part was you you think about and you dream about that day when you're leaving the hospital with your baby right and that day i think you know and my i remember someone said to us the hardest part was watching us walk down the hallway my husband and i hand in hand without just a baby. us yeah. without a baby right and so um, I went. I went into a dark place. I would say I my closet was my like. I don't know why, but I I think we, you know we have big families. We have a lot of friends. People were like right away, like followed us right from the hospital right to our house. Probably twenty five people between our family and friends like gathered at our house, and I was okay with that. But I needed a space where I could go where no one could find me for even just 30 seconds Yeah, where if I needed to just take a breath and that became my closet and I wasn't that good at hiding it because apparently everyone knew that like when they couldn't find me I was in my closet right but I just needed a space of quiet where nobody was around um, and and it was it took a long time like the grieving process you know I'm 100% convinced that no matter how much you push down and try to fight grief you have to go through every single stage of grief. And it sometimes starts right away. It sometimes doesn't start for years. Some stages take longer. Some take, you know, go very, very quickly. Um, Our pastor told my husband and I right after our daughter passed away, he said, I'm going to tell you this right now. You are both going to go through every stage of grief, but you're not going to be in the stages at the same time for the same amount of time. And if you can acknowledge that right from the beginning and you can pick each other up when one's doing okay and the other one's not rather than because, you know, I think a lot of times people say, well, 
like, how can you be happy right now? Like, we just lost our baby, right? So I'm in this sad stage and you're doing okay today. It's easy for me to get mad at you for doing okay today. Mm -hmm. But we acknowledged that right from the beginning and said, it's it's okay that we're not going to be grieving the same way and we were always there to like lift each other up when one was down it was it, when we in the very rare occasion that we were both in a bad stage at the same time that was the hardest part sure but um we definitely you know lifted each other up and and we decided that we didn't want to let this stop us from having a family and we wanted to continue trying to have more babies and so we actually started trying a couple months later and we got pregnant again right away and we were really excited very nervous but very excited at the same time and then we found out that we were having an early miscarriage at that time and so that was really sort of when I think it all kind of crumbled because now we were like Double the grief. Yeah, like now we this is two babies, right? Because again, remember what I tell you when you see that pregnancy test, you test you plan their whole life out, right? So it didn't matter how far I was into that pregnancy, I already planned that second baby's life out, you know, in my mind. And so I think at that point, then I started questioning, like, am I going to be able to have a family? Am I going to be able to carry my own kids? And, you know, what what is God's plan for my life? Yeah. Like, what is this going to look like? And that was when it really, I think, kind of double, you know, it was like a double whammy where it kind of hit you really hard about, like, what does the future hold for me? Uh, so I guess that was like part one and a half. Yeah. Like, okay. Just, so part two, because things things were still a challenge moving forward on your journey to parenthood. Yes. So we ended up after our miscarriage, we waited a little bit longer. Our doctor said, just give your body some more time to heal. Yeah. Let me ask you something. Between all the grief and then that miscarriage, were you physically okay? Yeah. Physically, I was fine. It was just, you know, the grief and the emotional healing that was the hardest part. But I mean, okay, let me let me take that back. Sure. Um, Physically, I was fine for someone who had just given birth. But that did bring a whole different aspect into it because our our daughter passed away when she was 24 days old. Uh, that whole time that she was in the hospital, I was pumping because I wanted to nurse her. And so part of you know the grief of of after losing her is then you're not, you're not a woman so you're not, you don't understand this but there's a it's very painful if you just cut off nursing all of a sudden so i had to go through that actual physical pain on top of this emotional pain but it was also emotional too cuz i'm like I'm, you know, I'm not going to be able to nurse this baby that I mm-hmm. just lost. Um, and you're also, it takes weeks and weeks to heal for, just from having a baby. So I remember when I had to go, usually you go back into your ob gen like six weeks after you give birth. I had already lost our daughter at that time. And I remember thinking like, I'm going into this place that had so much hope and so much anticipation and so much joy for me. And now I'm going in for what? Right. Right. And my doctor was amazing. She literally called me up and said, like, let me know when you're here. I'm bringing you right into the room. Like, I don't want you to have to sit in the waiting room and see other pregnant mamas. I don't want you to have to sit in the waiting room and see newborn babies. It's a great doctor. uh, She was amazing. Like, I can't say enough stuff about her. Now she's retiring. Um, But she she took me right back and brought me right into the room so that I could, you know, not have to go through that. Um, But other than that. You're very good. And this is why I wanted to just have have you here and let you talk because the the details that you don't skip over are so important like little things like that um the pumping grief 
uh, the doctor taking you right back. Yeah. The little detail. This is why you're a very good storyteller. Thank you. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Thank you. Write that damn book. Okay, I'm trying. I, I am working on a book, but man, the book world is it's a whole new world. Yes. But I'm going to do it. I will do it. I'm, I'm, I'm in the process. It just takes time, and I'm giving myself d- time that I need. Don't rush yourself. Yeah. It's on your own schedule. Yeah, I agree. Um, so we'll jump ahead a bit. Uh, you had waited after the miscarriage, but then... Uh, then we had uh, a healthy baby girl. Like, everything went fine. It was like, you know, I, I feel like we had to get her to 24 days old, 25 yeah. days old, to really, like, take a full sigh of relief. Like, she's here to stay. She's healthy. She's okay. Um, but that was a huge blessing in our lives. And, it you know, it doesn't replace the babies that we lost, but it definitely helped us find joy again and kind of, you know, push forward and like, okay, we, we can have a baby. We can, you know, we can have this family that we've been hoping and dreaming for. And then we got pregnant with our, which would be our fourth baby at the time, right? So our second child that is at home living with us. And when I was pregnant with him, we found out that I had gotten a virus that I passed along to him and I had never had it before. So I had no antibodies to fight it off for him. So it's called cytomegalovirus or CMV for short. And so we ended up on this, you know, whole nother journey of, you know, basically like, what is this? And it's this rare thing. Basically, if something has like a (laughs) 0.0001% chance of happening, it happens to us. Do you watch, uh, do you watch, I'm sure you watch shows that are like serialized. Like you have to watch the whole season. It's not episode by episode. You would be an entire Netflix or a season of like Chicago Med of just you. you. Can you get that? Can you get that working? Like I'm I'm in, I'm in, I'm I'm ready to do a Netflix series. (laughs) Again, this is why I wanted to have you on because again, I hope people who are listening to this going, Eric's, Eric's not having any sympathy for people with miscarriages because I wanted to share your story, which again is the point zero, 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 but your strength going through it. And I'll ask those questions at the end because like as you talked about with god like you probably wondering does does this does this being not want me to be a, a parent and you kept pressing on something yeah. was in you and go we're gonna keep doing this yeah you have your daughter you have your son with the virus yeah so he on? was born with congenital cmv and to make a really long story short they basically told us when he was born um he, they did an mri of his brain and they basically told us we don't know if he'll ever walk on his mm. own if he'll ever if he'll ever talk and if he'll ever eat on his own, take him home and love on him. It's the exact words they told us. And my husband and I were just like, no, like we have not gone through all of this to just give up on this child. Like we're going to push him to be the best he can be. And whatever that is, is going to be perfect. But we're not going to give up on him. We're going to push him. We're going to work with him. And we did. We, you know, we've uh, done therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy from the time he came home from the hospital and he is a walking, talking, uh, eating miracle. And he just lights up any room that he comes into. And he's definitely had his challenges. Um, he does have congenital CMV. He has right-sided weakness. He has ADHD. He um, has had a hearing loss, which is sort of resolved right now. But you never know when that's going to come back. How he, old is he? He's 10. Oh, he's going to not listen for the next 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Just because of yeah. his age. <laughs> He has some vision issues and all of that, but if you like, if you if he was sitting here today, he'd just be like talking your ear off, and he can slam a pack of Hawaiian rolls like it's his job. Can you tell 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 the part again about how the doctor basically walked into the room, threw his hands up in the air, and then walked out? Which I say that, and it sounds really negative. It's actually really positive. Yeah, I mean, I think like you know, they they. Th- what Do you remember they, the story I'm ta- that you told me? 
Or he threw up his... No. Uh, the doctor that came in with the scans and he was bouncing oh, off the Oh, yes. Walls. Okay, okay. Yes. So that was... Okay, I thought you meant when he was in the hospital. So that was no. when he was a year old. So when he was a year old, the neurologist ordered another MRI of his brain, but he hadn't seen him. So he wanted to do the MRI of his brain. and So we did that first and then we were going to the office to basically discuss the results of this. And while we were waiting for the doctor to come in, the neurologist my little boy who was one at the time was like crawling up on top of this metal stool and like jumping off and crawling up and jumping off and right as the doctor walks in he jumps off whacks his face chips his <laughs> like little tooth or gums or whatever and the doctor literally said we're done doing mris and i was like oh no like what what's it show like what you know cuz we're here to discuss the mri and he's like no like what I was coming in to talk to you about and, and the little boy that I saw on this MRI is not a little boy who is crawling on top of my stool, jumping off and laughing because he fell, you know? He's like, basically, the little boy that I see on this MRI, this brain is a boy who's in a wheelchair, who yeah. can't talk, who can't eat on his own. And so basically, his brain has rerouted and like this neuroplasticity and his brain has rerouted these pathways to do all of these gross motor and fine motor and speech and swallowing type things. And he's like, there's no reason to keep doing MRIs. Like, I'm going to keep seeing on the MRI, I'm going to keep seeing a little boy who is, you know, not able to walk and talk and eat. And that's not him. So let's let's just go by what he's doing, because his brain is a lot smarter than what we can see. <sighs> that's a lot. Yeah. Um. How... How'd you get through all this? Like, where did you build, where did you galvanize yourself? And I, it sounds like your, your husband was part of this as well. But where did this voraciousness come in your spirit? It was fortified at some point in your life to just keep powering through. Yeah. Um, number one, like I always say three, I have my three Fs, right? <laughs> Which are my faith, my family, and my friends. That's what I've said for a really long time. And... Uh, it for me it was really really i i have a really strong faith and i i knew in my heart of hearts that i wasn't going to have the the answers that i felt like i needed to have here on earth right i'm never going to know the full reason why we lost our daughter i'm never going to know why we had why we got to find out that she had down syndrome and got so excited about that only for us to not be able to have experienced that life with her, right? Because mm -hmm. I think it really is an experience and a joy for parents that have these children with Down syndrome. Um, but I knew that I wasn't ever going to get an answer to that. And so I could spend my whole life searching for it, these answers. Why me? Why this? Why her? You know, why us? Many would. Right. But I knew I wasn't going to ever get the full answer to that. So I decided to really just sort of throw my hands up and put it in God's hands and say, this is your story for my life and the only thing that I could control right I like to say we can't control our circumstances or the situation but we can choose our response mm -hmm. and so I kind of just went with that right like I can't control all this stuff that happened to me but I get to choose how I push forward I get to choose how I respond I get to choose how I wake up every day and I get to choose my attitude and all of those things and so I just tried to focus on that um, again my husband is a so there's my faith right i have my family. My husband is, he's a jokester and he makes me laugh. Like even in the craziest of times, he makes me laugh. And I could not do this life without him. I know people say that, but I really could not do this life without him. Um, he's been an amazing support. We have 
wonderful parents who have been so supportive. We have siblings and friends who have just helped us kind of walk through all these trials. And what happens in my life, what has happened in my life is I've walked through a trial, I've gotten through that, and I can see some goodness that has come from each of those things, right? So after our daughter passed away, we started a charity called Our Angel, and we deliver baskets of food and goodies or gift cards to other families that are staying at the hospital with babies. Because everything when you're in the hospital is about the patient. But there's not a, there's not as much stuff about the family, right? I was just at the Ronald McDonald House last week. We were doing a radiothon, and yeah. I've long been a fan of them. Yes, um, did, did, they never got woven into your stuff because it was up in Michigan, right? Nope, it was in Toledo, oh. and they were amazing, and they Good. offered every yeah. possible thing. But I am the type of person that I I think I knew deep down inside that she wasn't coming home with us and I refused to step away and they encouraged me to don't get me wrong like they really encouraged me us to step away to go sleep in a bed and you know I was sleeping in I slept in a recliner for however many days they encouraged us and they were amazing and the resources that they have awesome but I I think deep down inside I knew and I did not want I, I would never have forgiven myself if I had walked away and that was the moment that she passed away. Right. Like if I wasn't there. And so I think I just I never used their their services because I didn't want to leave. I didn't even want to leave her room, let alone leave the building. Your your instinct told you that you weren't going to have all those years that you had envisioned. Yeah. You were going to have They'd probably be thousands of them, but but minutes, and you wanted yeah. to make sure you were there for as many of them as possible. Yes, right. And you will eat out of that vending machine. Yeah, and so, but what but what we noticed, and the reason that we started this charity, and it's different. We we've worked with Ronald McDonald House, and it's different because what we noticed is that there, like I had literally the waiting room every day, sun up to sundown, was full of my family and friends. Even if I never went out to see them. They were there. They were bringing us food. Like one day I was, you know, I, I had just delivered a baby. Right. So one day I was like, Oh, my pants, they're so uncomfortable. And my friends were like, done, like left the hospital, drove to, I don't know, Target, Walmart somewhere, bought me three pairs of comfy pants, brought them back to me. Like, here you go. Like everything I needed. And when we went into the hospital with her, we thought we're going to be in the hospital for a day or two. She has jaundice. So we packed a day bag, right? We didn't pack a three-week bag. And so we had those people who were bringing us hot meals and not, you know, we didn't have to eat out of the cafeteria every day. And if we, one day I said, this is a funny story. One day I said, I don't remember the details of this, but my father-in-law insists that I ordered a nine-piece, maybe it was like an eight-piece chicken nugget from chick-fil-a okay and i think they only i don't know what whatever it was they have like a six and a ten and he thinks i ordered an eight okay so he went to the mall to get me an eight-piece chick chicken nugget you know chick-fil-a meal and they said we don't have we only have six or ten and he's like no no you don't understand my daughter-in-law like this i need eight and they're like we don't have an eight-piece nugget and he's like fine, give me the 10 piece and then I'm going to throw away two pieces. And like, it's so funny to this day. I'm like, seriously, he goes, we wanted to do like everything we could to make you guys comfortable and happy and get you what you wanted. Like, and and so that's just like a stupid story, but he bought a 10 piece nugget and threw away two pieces because he, I said eight and he wanted to get me eight. But, um, I think for us, we realized that the other people around us, like the other kids and babies that were in this pick you they didn't have that like the mm-hmm. the parents didn't have that support and they didn't you know they were living 
out of the hospital. They were living out of the cafeteria and it gets expensive. It gets tiring. It gets, you know, you want to, you want something different. And so I think that's sort of where that all came from. And, but again, like that's something that we, I can look back and say, like, this is something good that we have been able to do to honor and remember her life. Um, do I do I miss her? Absolutely, every day. But I can look at these things that are good, and I can look at some of the things that have come from our son having special needs, and I can say like, okay, there's goodness that has come from those really really difficult trials. And if I, when I'm going through difficult things now, I can say, okay, I may not be able to see it right now, but I'm going to see it in the future. I'm going to see goodness come. Did I ask you um, if you? ever thought about, and I, I might have, but now it'll be for posterity. When you think uh, of some of that grief of not having her, if you did, you might, you wouldn't have your daughter. Right. In all likelihood, you wouldn't have your daughter. Right. Or you might have another daughter, another kind of person, but you wouldn't have her, yes. who you love dearly. I think about that a lot. My husband and I have talked about that. And I think part of that is to just help you heal, right? It's to help you heal. Again, you have this hole in your heart that never heals. It never goes away, but it changes over time. And I think having our daughter and looking at her every single day and saying, like, she is who she is because of all that stuff that I went through, because I I wouldn't have had a baby six months later, most likely. And so... Um, yeah, like looking at her and then and then all my kids after that, like they wouldn't be yep. who they exactly are had we not gone through that. That that this is one thing there uh, where I need a not a book, but a nice paper on because I think it's something that that I certainly haven't read a lot about or 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 talked about. That's why I bring it up. And it's again terribly unfortunate that um i've had so many friends who have had multiple miscarriages um my one friend jody her daughter just turned she's about two and a half she had multiple miscarriages because of a clotting disorder she had to give herself shots and yeah. everything um and i don't think those pregnancies were, were far along but i just and i i do it in a strictly eh, and not to, to prod or to, to be mean or anything but like i asked you you would not have Delaney or my other friend Sarah Hegarty, you would not have the little firebrand pirate that is Nicholas yeah. <laughs> had Gabriel survived. Yeah. And I guess like to plant that seed, I love to hear the responses because there is nothing more that you that you love than your son and daughter right now, right? Right, right. Um, if it was probably between, depending if your husband's on your nerves or not, it was picking your kids or your husband, the husband goes into the ocean. <laughs> but yet they wouldn't be here right. if not for those tragedies happening earlier that that so fascinates me yeah i mean and that's to me where i really have to sort of like trust in the bigger plan right like maybe that all, i mean this was all part of my story all along right even though it what it wasn't what i would necessarily choose for my story if you would have asked me when we first got married like you know, would you choose this to happen to you? Absolutely not. But here i am now and and we've had four more kids we have four kids at home and I look at them all the time and I think like you are who you are and you are here because of, you know, my youngest two wouldn't even be in existence. Right. Like, I mean, we, we all, we've always said we wanted four kids. So, you know, they wouldn't even be, they wouldn't have even been a thought in our minds. So the down syndrome, uh, it could have been onerous to have four kids potentially, potentially. So, um, there's a quote and I think I thought of it when, um, we first chatted, but I want to see if I can pull it out again. It's um, we all fail at who we're supposed to be, but we have, but we all have to excel at what we are. Yeah, 
that's good for my son, right? Like yeah. that's a, that's perfect. That's a perfect quote for him. Like he that's what we, kind of what we always said. Like we want him to be the best. His name's Benson. We want him to be the best Benson he can be, whatever that looks like, right? He didn't get teased by grant by older people. Does he know that? No. There was a sitcom called Benson in the eighties with a Z. Benzin. Is no. The okay, then he'll be fine. Then. See, he'll be it's fine. It's different. Yeah. He's just gonna have his name misspelled for all of his life. Yeah, I misspelled, mispronounced. Uh, yeah. I want to wrap this up, and I want people to go watch the authentic author story because you were also a disability advocate. You went through uh, again a horrifically aggressive cancer and lost your arm. Um, you need to have some kind of warning uh, that comes with you, and I say that <laughs> lovingly in a good way because you talk about attitude and powering through in your faith and all the family that you have, and so many people. You did mention this. Uh, don't have some of those things like some of those families are going through those those hospital challenges um if i had to construct a human in a lab to have everything in their tool belt to get through adversity in life it would be you Aww, uh thank you friends but you've i don't want to say you're fortunate to have family and friends no you you built that stuff with who you are but just that that there are so many people, maybe myself included, regardless of how much resilience I say people don't give themselves credit for, you just kept going. Yeah. When so many people in your situation could have just kind of thrown up in their hands, whether it's faith or logic, and said, this is just this is just what it is. Let's focus on, you know, he and I, and we'll go for it. But you kept going through, and many people wouldn't. Um, you are like a perfect human when it comes to attitude and spirit. Thank you. You're welcome. I don't know. You might want to ask my husband about that perfect oh, yeah, human yeah, yeah, yeah. part. But well. yeah, um, I actually just this past Sunday there was um, uh, there's a it's called a walk to remember through a group called Tiny Purpose up in Adrian, Michigan, and I was speaking at that. I was I was sharing my story, and it kind of like what you're just saying. And I just kept saying like every story of loss or every trial, whatever, has two parts. The loss itself, which includes the pain and the suffering and the, you know, all of that stuff. But then the second part can look like whatever you want it to look like. And so every story has two parts, right? Like that, that first part you can't always control. But the second part is really what you get to control and, and how you want to respond. And, uh, you know, I hope that my story and how I've responded to things can be inspiring to someone else to, you know, who's going through whatever it may be, right? We all have something. We all have our thing that we're going through or multiple things that we're going through. Yeah. And, you know, if you really truly decide that you can respond and you can choose how you're going to approach each day and how you're going to respond to the situation, you might not control the situation, but you get to choose your attitude. Again, to, to, to add on just like how perfect your spirit is, you have like, as you said, like you kind of monopolized the 0.0001% ailments that could have come to people. <laughs> um, and, and I don't win when I play the lottery, just so you know. Well, you, then, I should, right? You should, I should, yeah, but yeah, I don't. You're, you're the Alanis Morris. Well, no, 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 no. The opposite of the Alanis Morris song. You're, you're, God, uh, God, like, <laughs> like Midas touch, like Midas touch kind of thing. But had someone else had to endure these point zero 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 type possibilities, they again they might have crumbled. But again, these infinitesimal things happened to you and you were able to move on and now inspire others to get through their challenges. And I think that's absolutely incredible. So thanks for visiting. I think that's my purpose in life. I've, that's what I've come to realize. Like that is why I'm here. That's why I have this story. So what's that other quote? Uh, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give that gift away. I love it. Where can people find any of your stuff or follow more of you? 
Um, website you're going to build, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm building a website, but my Facebook page is just my name, Amy Reamer. Um, and you just search for that. That's where I share most of my story and my journey. It's uh, like the at sign is Amy's Army 313. Awesome. And what about um, helping the families in the hospital, the, the charitable cause that you made up to help them? Yeah, that's called R Angel. R is just the letter R because our daughter's name was Remy. So R, the letter R Angel. And that's um, we have a Facebook page for that as well. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much.